All right, stand to your feet. We're going to read some scripture. We are still in the suddenly sermon series. I'm, I'm excited about this. We're just walking through Acts, seeing how people's lives were changed and how it impacted the church going forward. So we're going to read Acts chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 8, about a guy named Stephen. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And they produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the place and change a custom Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Father, we ask you that you fill us with grace today. That, Lord, as you suddenly fill us with your Holy Spirit, that an equal amount of grace and truth would follow. God, this world needs grace, but it also needs the power of truth. Help them to find it in the church. Help them to find it in us. And help them to find it more because we were together today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. At the beginning of this chapter, chapter 6, you see uh, a dispute arise in the early church. If you have been coming to church any length of time, you know that there will be a dispute sooner or later. Amen? I told you last week, you like to fight. So a dispute rose up uh, with what... Luke called the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. And what happened was there were Jews not uh, that had adopted some of the Greek, uh, the Greek language and that, that culture. And you find that this synagogue that Stephen is preaching in is actually called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. And it was actually Jews that had come from all over the place, but they didn't have Jewish, they didn't have the Hebrew, they didn't speak Hebrew and they didn't have the strict Jewish culture. But they were Jews. And so in the early foundations of the church, there was a group of these Hellenistic Jewish, uh, Hellenistic Jews that were not being fed. Uh, Hellenistic Jewish widows were not being fed. And a dispute arose up in the middle of the church. Now you remember the last time we talked, there's about 5,000 men who had come to saving knowledge of Christ. And if you include women and children and families, that was a lot of people instantly. So you can imagine the infrastructure might not have been there to feed everybody. And you can also imagine that there might've been some, some little uh, groups and uh, maybe a little tension between groups and all these things. And so what you see is a very specific group not being taken care of. So what happens is the 12 apostles bring all the disciples together and say, hey, we need to appoint some godly men to take care of this. And so they appoint seven men. Two of those men 
uh, one of them, Stephen, and the other one, Philip, who ends up being written about a little bit later in Acts. But Stephen, um, they single him out right at the beginning. They said he was a man full of grace and power. Grace and power. That's important. That's really important. We're going to talk about that here in a second. Hey, they did, they, oh man. I was going to do this. I did this illustration for service. We have somebody in the back that is mixing, like raising levels up and down. You realize I don't turn my mic up by myself and I don't turn it down. You realize that? Everybody realize, like I don't have a knob here where I'm turning it. So what happens is um, the person in the back can turn the keyboard up, can turn the keyboard down, can turn my mic up, can turn my mic down, can turn the drums up and down. And, and what you end up getting, hopefully, what we end up getting is a good, what they call mix. A good mix, if you, if you ever mess around with sound equipment, uh, you want a good mix. And so uh, if, you ever, if you ever bought a brand new pair of headphones, maybe the real fancy ones that go over your ears, maybe some beats. So you look cool walking down the street with these big things on your ears. And you ever put on a really good set of headphones the first time and you turn the music on and you're like, ooh, oh. Because the headphones are designed to have the right mix. They, the headphones are designed to reproduce something that sounds appealing in your ears. And when you walk into a concert and you, and you hear the mix, you're either, you're either like, oh, that's good or ah. We do, uh, Sam and I do uh, some conferences some, uh, for uh, teenagers throughout the year. And, and guys that are really, really good at this can, can tell you right up front, all oh, the mix is harsh or, or it's this or it's muddy. Or, and I don't even know what they're talking about. I'm like, what are you talking about muddy? So here's what I found out. That when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they have an opportunity to get a good mix. A good mix of grace with truth or power. Grace, but power. And, and sometimes in the church, we don't get the mix right. Can I just show a uh, show of hands? How many of you are, are, are rule follower, truth people? Just raise your hand. Come on, be honest. By definition, you have to be honest. You're the people that want the, like the rules. Like we want it to operate. That's why rules are in place to follow. And I'm the one that has to make sure everybody follows them. Just love it. Just love telling everybody how they're wrong. Now, how many of you would say you're more gracious people? Like you're like, ah, it's all going to be fine. Forget it. I mean, you really, it wasn't that bad. Anybody like that in here? I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I hate rules. Just like, why would you make so many rules? Because rules kind of like lock you in. You got to operate a certain way. I don't like that. I want to do what I want to do. Anybody else like that? We're the ones that are going to run the earth. Make rules. Crazy. So what happens here, what we notice about Stephen right off the bat, I need to let you know this. 
Stephen was asked to feed widows. Now, you can't, re- you can't forget that when we get farther into this story. He was asked to feed widows. That's it. That's all he was asked to do. That's all he was commissioned to do. That's in the beginning of chapter 6. They make a big deal about, hey, we've got this dispute in the church, and we got seven people together to take care of this dispute. We're going to make sure people are getting fed now, and nobody's getting excluded. So this is a solution to it. Stephen's one of the guys that are going to do that. So all he's asked to do at the beginning is to feed widows. And the reason that's significant, extremely significant is, is that a lot of people get upset when they're asked to do something seemingly remedial. You're like, I'm smarter than that. They asked me to help clean the church. I'm smarter than that. Didn't they, didn't they know I could sing opera? Probably not. Probably didn't know that. Didn't they know I could do all this stuff? Didn't they know I was full of grace and power? Didn't they know? The beautiful thing about Stephen is you don't hear him complain about any of that. They said, hey, Stephen, would you mind making sure these widow ladies are taken care of and not overlooked? Yeah, love to. Love to. So you need to remember that when you see the story progress, that he wasn't asked initially to preach in a synagogue. He wasn't asked to do miracles. He wasn't asked to lay his life down. He was asked to feed widows. And it seems to me, what if, you, if we are willing to do what God asks us to do initially, it gives you somewhere to start. Amen? Seems like everybody wants to be on the stage. Everybody, like, like oh, I can, I can go to The Voice. And I can be on stage. And I can go to American Idol. I can be on stage. And we've got a culture that everybody just wants to jump up there. Like, like look what I'm doing. Well, the reality is, is probably nobody was looking at what Stephen was doing at the beginning. It wasn't a glamorous job. He wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't, he wasn't one of the guys up front leading things. He was asked to make sure people weren't overlooked. And what was his response? Yeah, take care of that. I'd love to. It would be my honor. Just let me do it. Take care of it. Don't worry about it. I'm your God. What if we responded to God like that with the remedial things in our lives? What if when God came to us and said, hey, would you be willing to clean that up? Uh, Wait a second, God. I mean, you know, you know, I got an important job outside the church. You know, I'm a little bit more important than what this job indicates that I am. The beautiful thing about it is being willing to feed widows led Stephen to us being able to read about him thousands of years later. Never underestimate small beginning. I think the Bible says something about that. Never despise a small beginning. Never despise starting out at the bottom. Never despise the idea that God is still recognizing you. He still picked him. Out of all these people that got together, it was still, Stephen was one of the seven people picked. It may seem like the JV team at the time, but he was still on the team. Amen? So watch what happens. Watch what happens. Now we get to chapter 6, verse 8. So we have this dispute. Stephen's picked. And now by the time we get to verse 8, they're describing him as a man full of God's grace and power. What we find out is grace and power can live in harmony together. Grace and power can live in harmony together. 
So John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says in Jesus that, that the mix was right. And then in chapter 6, verse 8, it said the mix in Stephen was right. He was full of grace and at the same time full of power. Jesus was found equal amounts and in Stephen being follower of Christ displayed the same characteristics. He was equally delightful and powerful. Power does the gospel no good if it's wrapped up in bitterness and anger. Did you hear that? I've seen some mean people fill the Holy Spirit. At least they said they were. Listen, the word for grace in this passage doesn't mean like graceful on his feet, like he was a good dancer. The word for grace in this passage literally denotes like a childlike innocence and delightfulness. He had a spiritual charm or winsomeness. Do you know what that literally means? People liked being around him. Have you ever asked yourself, since I became a Christian, do people like being around me more or less? I'll let you answer that. That's rhetorical. Don't say it out loud. Don't look at your spouse and go, eh? The irony is I've seen people claim to be full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Spirit, and be nasty at the same time. And the Bible says that that's not really how it works. That Jesus was full of grace and truth. Yes, they were in equal amounts. But here's what you find out. Regular people liked being around Jesus. Amen? Regular people liked being around Jesus to the point where they said, he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners and drunkards and all these. They just liked being around him. And he was like, I like them. They're funner than you. You religious people are all boring. That should tell you something. Because it said Stephen was full of grace. What's that grace look like? Childlike innocence, a winsomeness. People liked being around him. He was a genuinely nice guy. And yet oftentimes when we come to Christ, or we, we, we all of a sudden become, become the truth bearer. So you go back to your friends and we lose the winsomeness and we gain a bunch of authority. You know what? God never called you to be your friend's police. That's not what he called you to. The mix has to be right. You can't come to Jesus and then, and then go back to the world and go, hey, listen, I just found out all y'all are going to hell. So put away the liquor, put away the fun, put away the rock and roll music. And that's not what he said do. He said be equally mixed grace and truth. Jesus came speaking an equal amount of grace and truth. He didn't compromise either of them. It didn't say people hated being around Jesus because he was pompous. It said they loved being around Jesus. The same thing was true of Stephen. Hey, you want to, Stephen, can you feed widows? I'd love to, man. Thanks for including me in this. I feel honored to be able to do this. And so he starts feeding widows and nobody complains about him. But feeding widows led to preaching in a synagogue. See where I'm going with this? Feeding widows led to preaching in a synagogue and displaying great power, doing miracles and signs and wonders. Where did it start? 
feeding widows. I imagine Stephen went, man, I remember before all these signs and wonders came, I was just feeding widows. So all of a sudden now, the grace that God poured on him was being displayed in great power. So I need to ask you that question again. If the closer you get to Christ, the more evil you get, you might want to figure out who you're snuggling up against. Amen? If the closer we get, the more nasty, the more people don't want to be around us, that's the inverse of what happened to Jesus. That's the inverse of what happened to Stephen. It's that people love being around them. So as the church... I know there's truth. I know there's power that has to be displayed. But it's no good if nobody likes us. No, 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 no. I know some of you are like, we're not compromising. You don't have to say it that way. You don't have to say it. You're like, we're not compromising. They're going to hell. You don't have to say it that way. Watch this. Listen, there's things we can't compromise on. We love you. It's the way I say it to my kids. Have you ever tried that? Oh, wait, wait. You don't say it that way to your kids, do you? You say we're not compromising, you're going to hell. Yeah, let's switch that up a little bit. Maybe your kids would like you more. Sorry, that's another sermon. He was equally delightful and powerful. Equally delightful and powerful. Listen, when you combine an immensely likable man with great power, And that's amazing. That's amazing. He was performing great signs and wonders and no one could stand up against the wisdom the Spirit had gave him. Now listen, likability does not mean the truth needs to be sacrificed. I'm not saying be so secret sensitive that you're okay with everything. But when we're not okay with it, we don't have to be nasty. Amen? Equal amounts of grace and truth. Equal amounts of grace and power. So when you're powerful, it comes from a place of grace. When you combine these two traits, you can correct people and keep them at the same time. You can love deeply and still uphold the truth. You don't have to convince people anymore that you care about them. They already know it. So here's a problem though. Truth is sometimes offensive no matter how it's packaged. You're going to hell. I hate to say it to you. Wow. Probably wouldn't say it that way. Here's what happened with Stephen. He's feeding widows. He's got an opportunity to preach in the synagogue where I believe some of those widows probably went. It was a synagogue of the freedmen. And, and there, was, there was Jews who, who spoke Greek and practiced more of the Greek culture than other Hebraic Jews did meeting in that synagogue and Stephen had this opportunity. So he started preaching in that synagogue. And everybody's like, man, boy, he's such a nice guy. But that stuff he says about Jesus is crazy. He's such a nice guy. We just love Stephen. And then one day he starts saying stuff that the people in charge around there started not to like. Now, now, they couldn't argue with him. The Bible says that they couldn't stand up against any of the arguments he made. That the Spirit had filled him with so much power that there was no one that could argue with him. So can you imagine combining a guy that everybody likes that can make an argument that nobody can argue with? And so here Stephen is. 
Started out feeding widows, standing in a synagogue, preaching in a way that nobody could argue with, but everybody liked him. So sometimes the truth is going to be offensive no matter how it's packaged. Remember, they did kill Jesus. And he was a perfect combination of grace and truth. John 15, 18, Jesus says this, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Listen, there will be a time when the truth is more hated by people than the benefited authors. I believe we're living in that time. Where the truth is whatever you want it to be and when the church says, stands up and says, this is what the Bible says about it, people scoff at it. But what happened when Stephen shows up in the synagogue and starts preaching, they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So watch this. If the truth is going to be offensive, live your life in a way that Satan has to lie about you. Watch why this matters. If we're not careful, if we don't have an equal mix of grace and truth, then here's what happens. When we start speaking the truth and it goes against culture, they'll say, well, they're mean people from the beginning. And I've, I, I, I've been in churches where that was true. And it wasn't a lie. Maybe I'm the only one. You've never been in a church that was judgmental? You've never been in a church that just was nasty when you walked in the front door? Like, you walk in as a visitor, you're like, what did I do? I thought they wanted more people to show up. So all of a sudden, when you start speaking the truth, they can leave and say, hey, listen, they said something I don't like, and they're nasty. Not a lie. I, they said something I, I don't like, and, and they're this and they're that. They had to make it up about Stephen. They had to make it up about Stephen. They had to make it up about Jesus. They had to lie about Jesus to have him crucified. You do realize that, right? Nothing they said about him was true. And then they make it up about Stephen. So here's where we need to be. We need to be so full of grace and so full of truth that then when they try to come back, they have to lie about you to get anywhere. But here's what happens. As Christians, we sometimes burn our own boat down. Paul says it, that we, that, we've, that, we, that we shipwreck our own faith. And so when we're not full of grace and we're only full of truth and power, then what happens is people don't have to make up stuff about us. Well, they said what they thought and they were nasty when they said it. But when you see Stephen, it said they had to persuade people to lie about it. And it seems to me that they had to pay Judas to lie about Jesus. I mean, we, he might have done it for free. I don't know. But he did take the coins at the beginning. So the issue is this. If they're going to say something about us, I want it to have to be a lie. Have no truth in it. I, I had a buddy of mine come to me probably seven or eight years ago. And he said, uh, I was here at the church I'm doing what I do. And uh, somebody left the church and was mad about, I don't know what it was. And uh, my buddy said, hey, man, I was at a restaurant the other day, and they were talking about you. 
made up a bunch of stuff talking about you, and you got to do something about it. And I said, I'm not doing anything about it. It's not true. Why am I going to waste my time defending something that wasn't true to start with? And I almost thought, thank you, Lord, that they had to make something up. Amen? Thank you, Lord, that they had to make something up. Because I got some stuff in my closet if they knew about, they wouldn't have to make up. Everybody does. Amen? Come on, can we just be real this morning? So what happens is, I realized, thank you, Lord, there was en- the, the mix was right enough that they just had to make up a lie to get to me. And I thought, thank you, God, that they didn't, that I didn't have anything hanging out there as a pastor that they could just latch onto and say, man, he's nasty. He's this and this, and he stands up and preaches crazy stuff. No, no, no. They had to make it up. So if only the only thing that Satan can come against the church is to make stuff up, you're in a really good spot. So don't even worry about the lies that are being told about you. Stop trying to defend it. Stephen didn't try to defend it. He didn't say, those aren't true. I can't believe you said that. I'm such a nice guy. He didn't say any of that. Jesus didn't either. We end up defending something that you don't need to defend. What are you going to defend being nice? So when there's an equal amount of grace and truth, Satan has to make up something about you. And he's been doing it for thousands of years. Just making up stuff. Live your life in a way that Satan has to lie about you to get anywhere. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They never said Stephen was a jerk. They never said he was a thief. They never said he was abusing people. They said he said something that he didn't really say. Just made it up. And they had to persuade people to lie about it. Can I just tell you this morning, character needs no defense. You do not have to defend godly character. Just let it go. When Jesus was on trial, he was silent. I told myself this, stop trying to defend yourself and just stick to the gospel. It needs no defense. Amen. Here's the beautiful part. They're bringing accusations against him. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down, down to us. In verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He wasn't even upset. The face of an angel. The face of an angel. If the church in a moment of accusation if, our, if the testimony could be that people looked at us at the, and they had the face of an angel in the middle of false accusations. Come on. Amen. Full of grace and power. Now, here's the important part. You've heard me say over the last couple of weeks, especially in this contentious time that we live in in the United States, we have to remember who we're fighting. Amen. You have to remember that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. So, so Stephen had to remember this as well. Because it, was, it looked like men were attacking him. So you got you to gotta pay attention. So listen to what it says. We skip down verse 54 of chapter 6. When the members of the sand... Now, let me back up. Stephen's drug out. They, they, they conjure up all these accusations. It looks just like what they did to Jesus. Conjure up all these accusations against him. And they give him a chance to speak. And Stephen preaches. He's like, oh, you're giving me a shot at this? Now, he didn't say, 
I'm better than you think I am. I don't deserve this. This shouldn't be happening. No, he preaches, but he preaches masterfully to a point that they're like, he got us again. So what were they upset about? They were upset about, they said, well, he's going to, he said this Jesus is going to destroy all our customs. So Stephen goes back to the beginning and he starts preaching about how Jesus interacted with Israel all through their time. And what he was doing was he was highlighting, look, he did it this way at this time, this way at this time, this way at this time. When they were in the wilderness and they built a tabernacle, that was different from the way he dealt with Abraham. And that was different from the way he, after Solomon built the temple, it was different, 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 different. And now he's doing it through Jesus. And he paints this masterful picture where he weaves the way God, the way God interacts with his people through history. And he weaves it and he says, hey, look, God's been changing this the whole time. God's been changing this whole time. It's not hard to believe he's going to change it again through Jesus. Don't, don't think like that. Don't think culture. And when they get to the end of it, they're like, ah, can't believe he got us again. So when the members of the Sanchezian heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, you know what that means? full of grace, full of power. Looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I think he said it in a nice voice. I think he said it full of grace. I think he preached his last sermon. He looked up and he went, hey. I see Jesus sitting right at the hand of the Father. To which they flipped straight out when he said it. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. Have you ever seen a kid do this? La, 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 la. That's what they did. Could you imagine getting to a place where you can't argue with anybody? You just go, ah! Grace and power, grace and power, grace and power. Grace and power has no argument. So what do they do to him? At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Think about how quick this was happening. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. I need you to underline that right there. Don't ever forget that because this is important. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I seem to remember Jesus saying that. Luke records in chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus wasn't saying that at a dinner where everything was going well. He was saying it hanging on the cross. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, has the same response to people throwing stones to kill him. You see, when the situation got dire, the mix of grace went up. When it was time to forgive people who were, take, who were actively taking his life, God went, now it's time for grace. And he slid the fader up on the board and he went, more grace, Stephen. More grace. And Stephen went, Lord, don't hold this against him. Could you imagine throwing stones at a guy who was already forgiving you?
Church, we have to be full of grace and power at the same time. The power of the Holy Spirit to present the gospel in a way that, that, is, that is truth, but at the same time be gracious enough to forgive people that will attack you over it. Now watch why this is so important. The band's going to come up. We're going to wrap up with this. Watch why this is so important. Remember I told you, remember I told you about, you should underline that they laid their, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So some of you know this. Others of you are like, what's the big deal? Took the coat. They were getting ready to stone a guy. You can't do that with a coat on. She had leather coats at the feet of this young man named Saul. There's a guy named Saul of Tarsus who's watching this whole thing happen, giving his approval. Saul of Tarsus ends up being famous for the gospel. But in this moment, Saul of Tarsus... He enters into the scene of Acts, the early church. We haven't really heard about him before. We don't know what the deal is. We don't, there's no mention of him before. This is just Stephen is being stoned by a mob of angry men because he's preaching the gospel. Not because he's nasty, not because of his response, not because he was a jerk, just because he was preaching the gospel. There's a young man named Saul standing there in their the attackers are taking their coats off and laying them at Saul's feet. You realize you never know who's watching. You just never know who's watching. When you are being attacked and you're responding a certain way, you never know who's watching. Your kids could be watching, your spouse, your neighbor. Here's what I know. I know the people that are attacking you are watching. I, I know in this season, when, when, when people just have nothing to do with the gospel and they're willing to, and they're willing to attack the church, they're watching the response. Believe it or not, they're watching the response. Here's how I know. It says Saul, a young man named Saul was standing there laying their coats at his feet. Now, some of you may not know this, but Saul, not too much longer, decides on his own accord to go to the, the high priests and the chief, the chief priests and the elders and teachers of the law and get them to give him permission to go persecute the church. He had just stood there in approval over Stephen's death, the brutal stoning death of Stephen. And now he's going to take this task up on his own and he's going to run with it. on his way to Damascus to make sure he can persecute the church and lock up believers. And the Bible says that Jesus interrupts his trip to Damascus. It says, it says a blinding light just shuts the whole club down. Everybody that's traveling with him, they fall down their faces and Saul's blinded. And he hears a voice from heaven. It's Jesus. And he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, I don't even know who you are. He says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Saul's transformed in that moment. His legacy is he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. The same guy that was standing there watching 
approving Stephen, the man full of grace and power, being stoned to death right in front of the same man, ends up having his life transformed by that same power that let Stephen forgive everybody throwing rocks at him. The same power transformed Saul. And so what we find out is Saul ends up spreading the gospel to the then the whole world and writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And here's what I've, I can't prove it. I can't prove it. I'll be the first to admit I can't prove it. But here's what I'm thinking. You later see that same grace and power, the same grace and truth in Paul's life that you saw in Jesus and you saw in Stephen. And I've got to believe that every time that Saul got into a circumstance, every time that Paul got into a circumstance later, that somebody would accuse him and somebody would rise up against him and somebody would challenge him. He had to think back. I remember how Stephen responded. I remember how that young man who did not do anything was never nasty to anybody. I remember how he rose up and said, Lord, don't hold it against them. And so now we read things like Paul was not upset that he was arrested. Paul was not upset that he was shipwrecked. Paul was not upset that he was beat multiple times. It said, Lord, this is to advance your gospel. And I got to believe that he was running through his mind that picture of Stephen going, Lord, just forgive him. You never know who's watching. You never know who's watching. So stand to your feet. It could be your neighbor. It could be the person you work for. So when you walk in tomorrow, you be full of grace and truth. Make sure the mix is right. Because you never know who's watching. You never know who's going to imp- They could be straight from the devil right now. But you never know if God's going to use your life to transform somebody else. You never know when the mix is right, anything is possible. Amen. When the mix is right, everything's possible. Father, we thank you today that you can transform our life in a moment. And we pray, Lord, that you transform ours today. You get the mix. You make the mix right. That we be full of grace and power at the same time. And Lord, we pray for all who are watching how we respond. We pray that we would leave a lasting impact. We pray, Lord, that we would when we respond in grace, that it would glorify your name, empower us today to accomplish all that you set us out to do. And Lord, we pray that you make the mix right in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, could you say amen? Give him honor and praise today. He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody on your way out. Be full of grace and power this week. We'll see you next week.